Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial education with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are around your finances is one thing, how to translate the knowledge into action for results is quite another. We're all about helping others take steps to gain financial stability, to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs and may not be appropriate for you. This is Julia Shortinghouse and welcome to Season 2 of Good Money Habits. We have a fantastic lineup in store for you this season and as usual, I'll be chatting to ex- experts across the spectrum of finance who I know and I trust. I have to say I've been a bit taken aback at how enthusiastically they've agreed to jump in and help us deliver easy to understand and reliable content to help our listeners continue to build their knowledge around their finances, but importantly, how to develop good habits around money. And that includes my guest today. So to kick off season two, I'm going to jump right in and introduce you to Christina Cabrera, who in my view is genuinely one of a kind. With over 30 years of experience in in the financial services industry, Christina is no ordinary financial planner. She sees herself as a money guide for women. As a certified money coach and mindset mentor to women, Christina loves the coaching element of financial planning. Through simple techniques she learned from extensive training and with over 30 years of hands-on personal investment experience, Christina facilitates mindset shifts for women she coaches and mentors. Subtly yet powerfully, these shifts create lasting change in behaviour around money. This then enables women to make educated choices about their finances and take inspired action to create effortless wealth and freedom for themselves and their loved ones. Eye-opener, life-changing and barefoot investor on steroids is what some women have said when they emerge from having worked with Christina. They feel empowered to implement the exact strategies they need to create financial freedom for themselves immediately and into the future. Christina, welcome to Good Money Habits. Thank you so much for having me on the show and hello everyone. (laughs) Now before we dive into the more serious side today, um, I also understand that your passion is to dance the Argentine tango, I hope I said that correctly, and whilst uh, you were born and raised in Japan, you're actually German, which means you see the world through a prism of many cultures. Um, I believe you also love dark chocolate, I'm with you on that one, bourbon and wine, and the one that really resonates with me is that you view yourself as a bit of a goofball, and when you're not deadly serious about making money, that goofball loves to come out. Yes, I do love having fun, and if you speak to my clients, most of them will say that I make money fun to understand. And oh, by the way, you will also notice my slight American accent, which comes from having grown up in Japan where the English spoken was American. And I have to say, I love your accent. Um, And it's quite hard to put your finger on. But now understanding that diverse background, it does make a lot more sense. So like you, um, I can be a bit of a goofball as well. And as I've shared previously um, on one of the earlier podcasts, um, my nickname is Dory, stemming from the character in Finding Nemo, which I embrace wholeheartedly, especially when I'm on holiday with my closest friends who can attest to that, I'm sure. Now, Christina, you see yourself as wearing the hat of a money coach. Can you tell me a bit about a bit more about that and perhaps share your aha moment that led you down this pathway. So my aha moment, as as many people will have an aha moment, came about 11 to 12 years ago. 
uh, I had been a financial planner for almost 20 years by then, running a successful practice. And when not working with clients, I would trade the stock market from time to time. Mm-hmm. So the aha moment came during one of those times when I was trading the market. I had invested $25,000 into a mining stock, which then shot up and gave me a paper profit of a quarter of a million dollars in just two weeks. Wow. I still very, really vividly remember the day when I looked at the profit and said, wow, that was too easy. Mm. Now, you know what's coming next, don't you? I do. (laughs) (laughs) My limiting belief was that you had to work hard to make money. So for the next few weeks, I just could not bring myself to actually bank the profit because I felt guilty for not having worked hard for that money. Fascinating. So that was the aha moment. So what I ended up doing, I I self-sabotaged myself to the point where I watched the stock fall over the next two, three weeks, and I barely got out with my original capital in hand. So my realization was that if I, as a financial planner, who thought she knew money, could have limiting beliefs Mm. around money, it was entirely possible that other people would have limiting beliefs as well. And that's when I retrain myself to really understand how the mind works. Yeah, it's such a fascinating space. And that really is a giant aha moment, I have to say. Um, There is so much to unpick and digest in that. And the whole psychology around money and the idea that we have limiting beliefs and can self-sabotage is no doubt resonating with some of our listeners. And as you shared, as a financial planner, you also had limiting beliefs, which suggests that we all have them without perhaps even realising it. Absolutely. And, and that is really the chestnut that needs cracking. Most of us don't know that we have limiting beliefs and, and that they're actually holding us back. All we experience is that something's not working for us and that is when people get frustrated and start looking for solutions. And by the way, the concept of limiting beliefs can be applied all across life. It just happens to be that I specialise in limiting beliefs around money. And that is where you're really unique. I'm not aware of anyone else that specialises in this space in the way that you do. You know, so money blocks and limiting beliefs affect us all, men and women alike. And being mindful of not stereotyping here, in general terms, I gather that they tend to affect or impact men and women differently. I think we all have limiting beliefs, men and women alike. Mm -hmm. It's just my area of interest in particular for women is that I believe that women are more financially vulnerable and they have a bigger money gap to fill than men. And we just have to look at the data uh, to see the inequity, for example, in superannuation balances. So in my research and training around limiting beliefs, I've concluded that, generally speaking, women assume that they don't know, while men assume they do. Interesting. Now, much of this is really coming from programming in early childhood experiences and messages that girls receive from family and society around money and other gender-associated concepts like mining or being good at math. Mm -hmm. So it's that traditional male area, the domain. And um, women are also socialized to assume that we don't know, so we don't engage in that kind of thing. And then at the very least, we we even shy away from wanting to engage. What I know for sure is that therefore, we really need to be, in order to be effective to create wealth, we first need to address Mm -hmm. our limiting beliefs. I mean, look at myself, here I was, I had made quarter of a million dollars, but 
I, I couldn't bank it. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what the exact research or st- I don't have the re- um, research or exact science handy, but this concept of assuming women assuming that we don't know is mentioned in many books, including Warren Buffett invests like a girl by mm. Luann Lofton. And even in the Journal of Economics, uh, there's an article that uh, I think it's a 2001 article in February. It talks about boys will be boys, gender overconfidence and common stock investments. So I've read many, many books about money and also just about women in the corporate world and glass ceilings. And that seems to kind of be the common theme that runs there. So um, it always comes up. It feels like that women tend not to to know they 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 default to i don't know yeah so i think we can definitely dig into that a little bit deeper as we work through this podcast and it's funny that you raise the warren buffett book and let's come back to that a little bit later on i think there's some interesting um elements in in that work as well now when we were preparing for today you know we we both well you made the comment and we had a bit of a a laugh that this can all sound a little bit woo woo um and we had a bit of a you know a chuckle because uh, the reality is that it's actually anything but woo woo um and christina you know i don't know if you've come across the work of sylvia damiano before I have, along with many others. Yeah, she's a fascinating woman and, and a scientist and the CEO of the About My Brain Institute. And she featured it, featured in a TEDx, which I think is worth uh, watching on YouTube. You know, as a scientist and a neuroleadership expert, she's passionate about people becoming the best versions of themselves by being themselves and understanding why we behave and react to things the way we do. And I vividly remember from a course that I was really fortunate to be a part of many years ago that she confirmed what I think we all instinctively suspect and and that's the cir- that the circuitry of the female brain is very different to the male brain and you just have to look at the way we communicate um, that's probably the biggest and most most obvious one uh, to people um, but anyway she shared evidence that women can tend to limit themselves because of past experiences self-perception um, and unfortunately we may then fight or try to hide our skills which is sort of what you were yeah. referring to or touching on earlier exactly where the reality is that, you know, as women, our brains are actually beautifully wired to be collaborative. We have generally strong intuition. I'm drawing it, you know, I'm stereotyping here, but I think this hopefully does resonate and make sense. You know, we tend to be creative, have high levels of empathy, for example. Is that what you find in the work that you do in your experiences? I, I certainly do. And, and, and it harks back to probably that, that uh, research around Warren Buffett that, all those qualities actually are qualities that make women good at money. It's just that we don't believe so. Yeah. And yeah. so this whole mindset coaching, limiting beliefs, really has been dumped into the woo-woo basket in the past. But the reality is is that it's this type of coaching and the field of human brain neuroscience has become mainstream and, and certainly has found its way into executive coaching and other areas of leadership success. And my training in neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, is based exactly on this type of neurobrain science. I want to talk to you more about the yeah. NLP a little bit later. Let's and do and, that. and as I um, mentioned when we were preparing, um, I've had a little bit of exposure through a life coach I've worked with for a number of years, but not really drilling into the money side of it. So I'm fascinated to talk about that. But if I can, I'd like to just step back a little bit. And you touched on earlier what's referred to as the super gap. And, and I thought um, that was worth probably exploring 
explaining because I feel like the gender pay gap is pretty well understood, but perhaps the super gap not so much, um, but does refer to the fact that average the average woman in Australia today retires with 47% less in super than men, despite their average life expectancy being five years longer, which I'm guessing may be another reason why you've honed in or, if you like, specialised in, in working with women. Absolutely. Um, aside from the fact that, yes, women take time off for childbearing, there is just this gap and it is, it is, it is quite frightening. And there is mm. actually research out um, that one in three women over the age of 65 could easily end up in poverty, and, and, and that's quite concerning. So for me, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, you just have to look at those numbers and, and you be concerned for the financial welfare for women. Yeah, it's a frightening statistic, yeah. actually. And Okay, so let's start to unpick this. Thinking about your coaching, um, something that I know you factor in um, are the range of the different money archetypes. Can you talk us through that? Absolutely. So I have quite a few coaching modalities and methodologies in my toolbox. I use money archetypes as a starting point to my coaching. It's a great conversation starter and it gives me valuable information about what area the person might need some work in. So the theory of archetypes goes back to the psychologist Carl Jung. Many of you have heard of it. The theory is that we, or our, our psyche, are composed of many parts, and you can call them archetypes if you like. Mm -hmm. Each part has a role to play, and some parts become more dominant than others as we develop it from child to adult. The modality of archetype coaching has evolved from there, and now there's many, many, many different schools around it using different types of labeling for archetypes. I personally don't think it matters what you call the archetypes, how they're labeled. What matters is that you understand that parts of us, so maybe one or two archetypes, mm -hmm. become more dominant than others, which can lead to ineffective behaviors. So, so let me describe it in a simple way. Yep. You know, this is the goofball coming out. <laughs> so right. imagine you're in a car with five other people. And those five people, let's say, are the archetypes that are within you. So in an ideal world, you would have one person driving the car and the other four passengers sit quietly in the car, all agreeing and leaning into the direction that you all want to go. Now, imagine that the driver is trying to drive and the other four passengers are screaming at the driver, turn left, turn right, and even trying to lean over and grabbing the steering wheel so they can steer the car. Mm -hmm. Now, we instinctively know that this can't end well, right? Correct. <laughs> we can all see a car crash coming. So part of my coaching is to help create awareness around this for my clients and work on areas that need a little course correction. See, my philosophy is that a little course correction goes a long way towards getting back on track to where you want to go. I like that idea of a little course correction. It makes it feel maybe a little bit more doable. Um, and I like your car analogy. It makes sense and we can all relate to that one. So where can those listening learn more about the different archetypes? So probably the best thing is to go go to my website. It's wisdomofwealth.com.au mm -hmm. and you'll find the free quiz there. And if you do the quiz, the archetype quiz, you'll get a report emailed to you on what kind of archetypes are dominant for you. Fantastic. And I need to log on and do that myself. Now, in the story you shared earlier, your aha moment, if you like, yep. we might call it the $250,000 story. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you couldn't change the program that 
you have to work hard to make money, which is a great example of a money block or a limiting belief. Are there telltale signs that you you look for in relation to blocks? Absolutely. Um, There are definitely telltale signs such as a blank look. Yep. Fidgeting, so when you're talking about money, eyes Mm. glaze over. Silent nodding doesn't mean they understand. It's just, if I nod, maybe we can stop talking about this. And then procrastination. For me, that was how it was manifesting. I was procrastinating. I couldn't take the profit. We've all been there. (laughs) Maybe not quite the same way, but we've all been there with the procrastination. So it almost sounds like an aversion to even thinking about money at all. You know, what are some of the other limiting beliefs you come across and where do they come from? So the first one, of course, is that you, you have to work hard. Uh, I think that's really, really common, and it's and it's very much based in the Protestant work ethic combined with the generation that had to endure the Depression. Mm-hmm. Certainly, for me, I had parents who came, you know, who lived through the Depression in 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 Europe. Yeah, you have to work hard to make money. You know that that's a dominant belief. Absolutely. The other one, and you hear it a lot, is money is the root of all evil, mm. which is really based on uh, the writings uh, of Apostle Paul, which uh, he says. All wrongdoing can be traced to an excessive attachment to material wealth. Mm. Now, this particular belief you you can see a lot in creator, artistic type of people who have a real push-pull, the wanting of the money but being repelled by the money at the same time, believing that, you know, the money should be used for noble things. So, yeah. and it also points back to what was picked up at childhood. Just on that one, I'm, it's uh, something's jumping into my mind going back to uh, when I was doing some judging for the Telstra Small Business Women's Awards and that really came through even for women who are absolutely top of their game and reflected for them or manifested in such a way that even though they were brilliant at what they did, they just couldn't bring themselves to charge enough or to yep. really put the, the right value um, against what they were doing and hence they were just struggling to really turn them into profitable businesses. That's correct and that that, that is one of those things where they are repelled, they love they love their success, but mm. at the same time, very feeling conflicted around receiving and therefore not charging enough. So fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And the other one, of course, that I hear a lot of is I'm not good with money. Yeah. And that is goes straight back to the messages that we picked up as children. Often you'd hear money is men's work, the house is woman's work. And this manifests itself in one of the archetypes called the innocent, mm-hmm. which which really um, goes out and, and really has, has the behavior of, I want someone else to take care of me. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not good with money, therefore someone else has to take care of me. And this goes back to, again, childhood I- injuries where you might have been made to feel that you're not quite good enough. Yeah, interesting. And I and I think they, the childhood side of it is fascinating. And that's come up a little bit lately for, you know, in some of the conversations I've been having. So can we come back to that as well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Great. Um, so most limiting beliefs are picked up in early childhood. And, yeah. and this really speaks to what we what you were just saying. You have to be careful of the messages that you give children, mm. especially between up to the age of seven. So that age of seven is called the age of reason. And that's the imprint, imprint period for children where their critical faculty has not developed yet. So the critical faculty is that part of you that questions information that comes to you. So up to the age of seven, children 
are like a sponge. They mm. will take up. They sure ev- are. Yeah. <laughs> they will take up everything you say and, and store, and it's automatically stored in the subconscious mind instantly. So, I mean, I know I'm sitting here thinking I'm absolutely guilty of having said to my kids things like money doesn't grow on trees, for example. Um, but actually what you're saying is that we need to be very, very careful about the power of language with our children. So can you say, share some tips on how we can do this better? Okay, well, the first disclaimer here is that I'm not a child psychologist. And, <laughs> sure. and, and I'm understood. Certain, <laughs> I'm certainly not a, a, a parent. Um, so... The words that we use on a daily basis contribute the forming of our vision of the world. Mm-hmm. So in other words, how you see the world is determined by the language that you use and it reinforces itself. So for example, in the case of children, instead of saying, we can't afford this, because mm. what you do by saying that is you're actually painting a picture in their mind of lack. Indeed. Mm. Is it not better then to try to to stimulate their curiosity and and perhaps say uh, something like, we have $100 to spend on our food shopping today. Why don't you help me keep track of it as we put things into the basket? So I'll take that one on board. Um, And and, um, I just wish I lived in Holland right now to put that one into effect because they have this fantastic system there where as you put anything into your trolley, um, you get like a a barcode reader that you, 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 you put everything through and it shows you your tally, it shows you where you're up to. So if you're going to go over, it's not a mystery. You can put things back in the basket, but kids love it. And as soon as we're in Holland, because my husband's Dutch and his family are there, the kids love coming shopping. So they just go, I've got it. Like they want to scan everything and, and track it. So it's sort of an interesting concept. I'd love to see that come oh, here. Great. It's just one example. Oh, that would be so much fun. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and coming back then to that um, concept of the, you know, those childhood experiences, it's also reminding me of a recent experience I had with one of my clients where I asked her to think about what it was like growing up in relation to money in her home. And as I asked the question, it was quite interesting because I could just see her start to go deep. Um, so we just let that sit. And what was interesting is that she came back to me a couple of weeks later and she said that she'd been thinking about that question a lot and she'd realised that growing up for her, money wasn't talked about but, and she knew, but she knew it was very tight. She knew it was the cause of stress, anxiety and indeed conflict for her parents. And what is really fascinating for me is that this client has built, sig- I'm going to say, significant wealth through consistently making good choices about money over many, many years. But she was really struggling to accept that she was financially secure. And I guess it's this fear from her childhood was subconsciously sitting there. Is that a good example of a, a block that you're referring to? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is that many financially successful women secretly fear that, they are, that they'll become bag ladies. And when, when I was researching around money and, and, and mm. as I was uh, writing my ebook, this came across and I thought, my goodness, you know, Gloria Steinem, Emily Scott, the former CEO of Charles Schwab, all sort of volunteered that they felt fearful around becoming a bag lady and Mm. it's actually called a bag lady syndrome and it was coined in the 1970s and and it was the term given to middle-aged women fearing that they'll end up without any wealth and and literally becoming bag ladies 
And uh, in many ways, this is similar to the imposter syndrome and goes back to messages that we received as, as girls. Don't worry about money. Your husband will take care of you. That then gets fused with other incidences when you were made to feel less than. Yeah. Something as simple, talking about messages you give children, something as simple as how many times do I have to show you how to tie your shoes? Yeah. Then gets fused with the conclusion that, oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and that then also is that self-esteem issue. So these are all deep-running concepts that, that kind of pop up in your adult life. And well, there you go. Bag lady syndrome and the imposter syndrome. I've learned two things today. <laughs> the latter make, makes me think about that annoying negative voice in the back of our head that we all have that can be rather unhelpful at times, if I might say, when it's signalling things like, what if I fail, that kind of thing. You know, in your coaching work, once your clients start to recognise the money blocks that they carry, what are the steps to address them? So I'm actually not convinced that there, that there is an aha moment that there is a money block. I think more mm -hmm. than anything, it usually, uh, the coaching starts with my clients know that something is not working. They're mm -hmm. frustrated that money is not there or is not coming to them. And it really is then my job to carefully, gently point out to them that this potentially are the money blocks that are keeping them from, from being effective around money. So really my coaching starts around examining who you are being, how you're showing up, what's holding you back. And it, it really goes back to early childhood experiences of money and how it manifested them. So it's a little bit like your client, mm. what was being said as a child in that household. And that then becomes the first step for coaching. Uh, this is all part of my level one of effortless success framework of becoming money smart. So my entire coaching business is based on the cornerstone that there are two keys to create financial freedom. Mm -hmm. When both keys fit, good things happen is what I say. Great. So the keys are mm -hmm. money mindset mastery. So this is about your inner game. How are you being personally effective? What kind of limiting beliefs have you? Ha are you removing or are you aware of? So all of the things we've been talking yes. about. Mm. And then the second key is money mastery, which is really the understanding how investments work. You know what's good. What's a good management system? And so to me, that's the winning formula to use both effectively to create personal freedom and abundance. And that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, I wanted, one of the techniques you spoke about earlier in the coaching is NLP. I did want to come back to that if I can. can. It's probably a difficult one, but can you explain what it is? So NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's mm -hmm. a mouthful. And it can be traced back to the 1970s. The co-founders Richard Bandler, a student of mathematics, and John Grinder, an associate professor of linguistics, came together in an effort to model human excellence. So this is about how do we create better ways of being. Mm -hmm. And they began to, uh, to look at the work by studying Fitz Perls, who was a psychotherapist and founder of the Gestalt School of Therapy. So it goes right back to that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Along with Milton Erickson, who was one of the world's uh, foremost hypnotherapists at the time. So if you pick the term NLP apart, it, it really says it enables you to better understand the way the brain, so neuro, mm -hmm. processes the words we use, so that's the linguistic part, and how that can impact on the pattern of behavior, so that's the programming. Mm. So this goes back, for example, of I can't afford, 
yeah. that that is coded in the brain in a certain way. Whereas if you switch and say, how can I afford it? Suddenly that has a totally different way of being programmed in the mind. And suggests that we perhaps underestimate the power of language in the words we use. Uh, totally. And, and NLP is certainly not an invasive variety of woo-woo hypnosis or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's just simply involves a more considered and judicious use of language to connect with the thoughts and behaviors mm-hmm. of the individual. And and that's part of the coaching is to is to really help clients reframe. We call it reframing mm-hmm. words in a different way. And that then feeds back into the way things are programmed in their mind. So it's really a collection of many techniques. I love that. And um, one of the breakthroughs I had many years ago with the um, NLP work that I did was that I felt like, um, I guess, I was being pushed and pulled in lots of different directions and it was outside of my control. And then what I came to realise is actually... I had a choice. I just didn't see it that way. But once you change the language around it and it's I choose, um, it's quite empowering yes. and it really does change um, so many things in your life once you start to unlock that power of language. And that's what I call the, the foundation of empowerment mm. is, is changing the language will instantly change how you show up and mm. how you show up then will change the outcome that you get. So for anyone listening, you know, if if people are triggered by something, what can they do? I think the first thing to do, if if you're almost halfway there, if you have the awareness that says, Mm. oh my God, something's triggered me. So I think the Mm. first thing we have to do is say, congratulations. Acknowledge that, yes. Oh, totally. Because from there comes, with that awareness, comes the search for solutions. And that's where finding a good coach, you know, comes into play, someone who can hold the space where a gentle introspection and reflection can begin. And when we were chatting about this earlier, you mentioned that it's really about seeing it through a different lens. Yeah, well, this is one of my (laughs) favourite tools. It's so much fun. Uh, One of the techniques I actually use, I literally get my clients to wear um, coloured, tinted play sunglasses. They might be pink they might be blue it doesn't matter but what it's illustrating is that your limiting belief literally colors the world that you see Mm. so if you have say blue tinted glasses on that say i'm not good with money then literally that's all you will see your world will reflect that Mm. so this goes back to the nlp strategies on how our brain functions the filters that that we have also is partially because of the way the brain takes on information. So this this might get a bit technical here, but basically, no, that's okay. Yeah, because basically what happens is the brain um, installs filters to manage the volume of stimuli that we are exposed to every day. So this is based on Mihai Sikchik Mihai. Now don't make me say that too very no <laughs> me, <laughs> and don't let me um, uh, you know have to write it because there's so many consonants in his word. He's a Hungarian psychologist, and he basically said that we are bombarded by two and a half million bits of information every day and our if our mind had to process each and every one of that bit we'd literally go insane yeah so it's a natural way of protecting us that we can only really take in 134 of those bits and so filters develop Mm. and the filters are values beliefs or anything like that so the mind will just reject anything that doesn't line up with the filter as a way of protecting you from going insane 
And the example I have uh, from when my kids were little, I know, would be out in a shopping centre or something and they'd point out something that I hadn't even seen. But in, but once they've raised it, it's so obvious. My, my, it's like my brain literally didn't see it. That's exactly right. Mm. Now, the kicker in all of this is that beliefs determine your actions and actions determine our results. Right. And they, in turn, create a feedback loop for more of the filtering. So if I say I'm not good with money, well, you don't do anything because you think you're not good with money. Therefore, is it any wonder that there is no money in your life? Mm. Therefore, you don't have any money and therefore you confirm the belief that you're not good with money. So it's, it's like a little vicious circle that happens. Yeah, I can see that. That's a great way of describing it. So conscious of time, um, one of the questions or challenges that those listening may have is that all sounds great, but how can I afford the coaching? I mean, people who perhaps want this kind of support might be in, in, a, in a rather bad way coming into it. Absolutely. So this it's a perfect question. The challenge is that if you believe you're not good with money, generally you don't have the money yes. <laughs> available to take the coaching. So, so I, I start with, uh, my philosophy is that Everything I do has to pay for itself in some way. Mm -hmm. So it either has to pay off in a monetary way or in other ways. So it might be fulfillment or joy. And so I use that concept with my clients. Their first task is to actually make back the coaching investment within 90 days so that the coaching becomes accessible and free. Mm -hmm. And so this really starts with a conversation I have with them from, I, I, I can't afford this, to... Well, let's reframe and say, how can we, how can you afford this? So back to the language again. Yeah. Mm. And then helping them find practical ways to find the money. Does that mean they have to, you know, look at what they're spending? Does, do they have to manage it differently? Or maybe the conversation has to be around where in my business can I make changes to create more income so I can afford it? So again, this is about moving a client from a disempowered state of I can't afford to a more empowered way to approach it by asking, how can I afford it? And the amazing thing is that the law of attraction actually starts working when you ask the right questions. So this is back to the power of language. How can I afford this? Mm -hmm. Because what that does, it actually sets up our reticular activating system. So this is part of our brain that starts looking for things. Mm -hmm. So like when you were for example, buying, wanting to buy a car, yes. suddenly you see all these cars. I was about to say that yeah. as an example. That's mm. the reticular activating system mm. kicking in and it's the same with money. How can I afford it? Suddenly opportunities come up. So, for example, my two last clients, um, Kate, within the month of our coaching, somehow she managed to manifest $10,000 and it was, uh, I think it was just the shift in how she was approaching having conversations with her client. She happened to be a coach. Mm. And Helen, she made $6,000. She actually found $6,000 leaking out of her money bucket. Okay, so back to the budgeting Ouch. probably. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the process is really self-fulfilling. Mm -hmm. It's successing forward. So the more you do, the more you get, the more you want to do. Successing forward, that's a great way of putting it. So I guess by challenging your clients during the coaching in that way, it then becomes a demonstration of how and why the process works in itself, becoming a reinforcing yeah, scenario. Yep. Interesting. And, and that's totally correct. And it helps them see that it's actually possible to manifest money once you have the correct mindset and, and are able to start seeing those opportunities. So once those tinted glasses, come the off, filters yeah. come off, 
um, I, I actually have a client who has has asked, this was when I was doing one-on-one coaching physically before COVID and all that. She asked me if she could keep those glasses so she could just have them on her desk as a reminder. That yeah, that makes were, sense, that yeah. daily reminder. And then there's bringing that back into your conscious thought. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I like that. So once your clients have cracked the nut, if I can put it that way, um, only then, this is one of the big takeouts I'm getting, then you start to work on money management techniques. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, because the amazing thing about it is when you're using the correct coaching modalities is that, that a client's experience breakthroughs quite rapidly. Right. And, and the moment they do, it's like a light bulb goes on and says, okay, well, can we do the money thing now? <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yeah. it's that getting past the procrastination and the yeah. eyes glazing over that we first need to fix. And a bit of self-belief. Oh, totally. You know, that we can do this. And... Um, you touched on the Warren Buffett, um, uh, the Wall Street best-selling book, Warren Buffett Invests Like a Girl. Um, I haven't read it. It's definitely on my hit list. I have a bunch of books next to my bed, but that one's going to be added. Um, but I did a bit of a, 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 a search um, on, online because I was quite curious to see what would come out. And I understand that the book suggests a few characteristics of female investors that distinguish from them from their male counterparts. Things like women generally spend more time researching their investment choices than men do. This prevents them from chasing hot tips. Um, GameStop comes to mind there yep. as a recent example. Men trade 45% more often than women do. And although men are more confident investors, they tend to be overconfident. But by trading less often, women get better returns and also save on transaction costs and capital gains tax. And that's that old time in the market, not timing the market, you know, analogy. Um, women tend to invest in companies they feel good about ethically and personally. So there's almost that emotional um, em- em- empathy um, quality coming through there. So women with their capability for pa- patience and good decision making um, tend to be more studious, sceptical and therefore reasonable. Is, is that what you find once you get to that stage with the women you work with? Absolutely. And, and and, and I tell them that probably in the beginning, going, you're actually good with money. You're wired to be good. Just ask Warren. Yeah, you know, yeah, get, that's it. If he says yeah. it, then <laughs> it must be true, right? <laughs> it's, it's just that we don't believe it because mm. of that, um, those limiting beliefs and, 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 and the programming we had. So on that note, something that I know you emphasise to me and is very important to share for anyone listening is that people really shouldn't beat themselves up about having money blocks. We've all got them. Totally. The key is to become curious about the block. You know, be curious. Why is this not working? What matters is to actually do something. And then money is emotionally charged because we've, we've, we've come to measure our success with it when we mm. actually shouldn't. True. Um, and... It, uh, in my coaching or the teaching, I say money is just a tool of exchange, you know. If money is not working, it's actually an operator error. It's a little bit like trying to hang a picture on the wall. You know, if you, if, if, don't, don't blame the hammer if you can't, you know, hang the, <laughs> hang the nail yeah. properly. It's, it's not the hammer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually a big aha moment right there, I think. Um, money is a tool, as you say, you know, don't blame the hammer. What a great way to think about it. So, um, but as we wind up, any practical tips or resources you'd suggest that people can head to? Uh, again, if they go to my website, mm-hmm. so wisdomofwealth.com.au, there next to the next to the free quiz, there is also an ebook, great, which mm-hmm. summarizes my entire philosophy. And in that, I actually have journaling exercises, affirmation exercises. Uh, yeah, 
Brilliant. And they're free for people to access? Yeah, wonderful. So bearing in mind that you do specialise in working with women, for the men listening who want to dig into this space as well, do you suggest heading to the same resources? I don't think there's anything magical about the tools available. Great. Men and women can use them, and I don't think there's any difference really. I, I certainly have had a few interactions with men who maybe are more conscious Mm-hmm. In, in who they are and th- who would readily want to do journaling. So it's not it's certainly not binary. That's what we're saying. Right. There's, there's a spectrum here. That's, that's right. So any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Oh, absolutely. Please don't go away and feel bad about the idea that, that you might have money blocks. Mm. I have them. <laughs> so we do all, I. <laughs> we all have them. As a matter of fact, I don't think we're ever done examining wh- what kind of limiting beliefs we have. Know that we all have them is really the biggest message and and then just become curious and aware of them and then be inspired and motivated to resolve them with the right kind of coaching. My philosophy is that you can create change in an instant. I've seen it many times. You don't need to lie on a couch with a psychologist for months on end. I don't think so. Well, that's reassuring. (laughs) (laughs) Money blocks can be easily busted. All you need to do is be open to the right kind of coaching. Christina, a huge thank you for joining me today. I'm sure the listeners will agree that the work you do is highly specialised and very unique. As I mentioned earlier, I'm not aware of anyone else that's gone as deep as you have in this space. And one of the wonderful things for me in this podcast project um, is that I learn new things along the way. And there are a number of little nuggets in there uh, for me, which can only help me become a better financial planner for the clients that I work with as well. So if people would like to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way is to hop on over to my website, so wisdomofwealth.com.au. That's where you can get your free quiz. Yep. That's where the you e-book. can get the ebook. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have a chat, there is a link to my calendar. Um, come have a chat with me. See it as a virtual cover to get to know each other. <laughs> I like and, that. And if the idea of coaching resonates with you, great. And if not, then we've just had another couple with someone and another person in the world that we can call a friend. Oh, what a wonderful way of looking at it and beautifully said. And thank you to those listening for sharing your valuable time with us today. Join me next time when I sit down with three of my most favourite people in the world, three young women who are reshaping and redefining the art of giving. That was another episode of Good Money Habits, brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au.